0: I'm excited to welcome a new sponsor in 2019 to the podcast, pageantswag.com. You see, I've been around the pageant world for some time now, and I have had numerous title holders and guests tell me that there were zero sites for casual fashion dedicated to you, the pageant lovers. So Pageant Swag decided to solve this problem. They've created this great e-commerce store full of everything from fun graphic t-shirts and crop tops to sweatshirts and hoodies. And they've even got a really cool lineup of both yoga and capri leggings. And it's all focused on you, the pageant lover. Check it out today and use the promo code Crown for 10% off your first purchase. Again, that's pageantswag.com. One more time, pageantswag.com.
1: Hey everyone, it's MJ Acosta from the NFL Network, and you're listening to Life After the Crown with Tim Tialdo.
0: Hey everybody, my name is Tim Tialdo, and welcome to Season 2 of the Life After the Crown podcast. Now, if you haven't had a chance to listen to any of the previous episodes, I do encourage you to go back and listen because there are many valuable interviews that you will definitely gain some wisdom from. Now, for those of you who are just tuning in for the first time, welcome and thanks for checking us out. Each episode of Life After the Crown, I interview former pageant contestants, title holders, and women of influence who share advice and stories on how to help you succeed in the world of pageants, but more importantly how you can flourish in the professional world once your pageant journey comes to an end. As always, I appreciate you taking the time to download this podcast. I do value your time, and I'm glad you're here listening. So let's get started. My guest today served on the selection committee at this year's Miss Teen USA pageant, and today is the NFL Network's first and only Latina on-air reporter, contributing to such shows as NFL Total Access, NFL Up to the Minute, and NFL Game Day Morning. She grew up in New York City, where she spent most of her time watching her father, a former pro basketball player from the Dominican Republic, play in an optimist league. After moving to Miami, her love of sports grew, and she got the best seat in the house at every Miami Dolphins game, as she graced the sidelines as a Miami Dolphins cheerleader for the 2012 and 2013 season. MJ Acosta, by the way, I love saying your name. Uh, welcome to Life After the Crown. Great to have you.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Tim.
0: Yeah, it's just one of those names where you walk in the room and you, you must just be like, yeah, hey, I'm MJ Acosta. How are you? <laughs> well, it's awesome because if no
1: one, if the person hasn't met me before, they they're they usually assume it's a man. <laughs> so it's kind of <laughs> fun seeing that reaction.
0: <laughs> what does uh, MJ stand for, by the way?
1: So it's actually short for Marjorie. Marjorie. Um, Marjorie Marjor- Marjor- spelled with a J. Yeah. So I was just kind of like abbreviation. People always used to spell my name wrong. You'd be amazed at the variations. Um, and I was constantly saying it's M- Marjorie with a J. And one of my friends one day just said, why don't you just go by MJ? This was <laughs> eons ago, it feels like. And it just stuck and, and became really catchy. And especially for on air and, and kind of hosting,
0: uh, it worked out really well. And sports, you know, MJ's, you know, those acronym words tend to work well in sports. Well, very good. Well, hey, uh, let's talk a little bit about your pageant background. I know a lot of people saw you this year at Miss Teen USA as a judge, which was really cool Mm -hmm. to have you there. Um, Can you tell everybody about, you know, your your pageant background and some of the the places that you competed?
1: Right. So I started in pageantry um, a little later than than most, I would say, in in my 20s. Uh, The very first pageant that I did was Miss Miami Carnival, um, which was a local pageant attached to the Miami carnival. So it's very traditional of like the Trinidadian carnival. So I was represented by one of the bands um, and they made me this beautiful headdress. And, and I ended up being first runner up for that pageant. Um, and then it wasn't until several years later that I was like, you know what, I really want to try this again. But at that point, um, I was probably 25. So I was sort of at the end of eligibility for most you know, for like America or USA. So I picked USA and won my prelim, uh, which was Miss Miramar USA, um, and then went on to the Miss Florida USA competition, and I ended up top three. I was second runner-up um, to uh, Miss Lissette um, Garcia at the time. She's one of my very, very good friends. She's a fabulous Miss Florida USA. Um, and after that, I was able to work with the Miss Florida USA organization um, as a host. So I, I hosted the team pageant and helped co-host uh, the, the Miss pageant as well for several years after that um, and provided coverage once I was working as a reporter um, in the Miami market as well. So I, I was able to stay within the Florida USA family for many years after I completed.
0: Well, very good. How did you get connected with the Teen USA pageant this year?
1: Um, so my agency, which is Endeavor, um, William Morris Endeavor, um, re- represents the Miss um, universe organization and so when they were looking for uh selection committee members i remember my agent asked me did not you like do something with a pageant <laughs> ones?" and i was like girl you don't even know <laughs> so i was like i am obsessed like just you know once once you've been in the pageant world as you know tim there's no going back that's a sisterhood forever so once she said that i could not have been more excited i was like i volunteer tribute But it was at the same time as the NFL draft. So thankfully, um, the pageant was two day after, two days after the draft concluded. So it was like right at the wire me flying from the Oakland Raiders facility where I was doing coverage to, to Reno, Tahoe, which thankfully was a very quick flight. Um, so it all worked out
0: perfectly. Well, and it was very cool. You know, it's not no, normally you don't see somebody from the NFL or NFL Network um, on the judging panel. So you know, when I was reading through my scripts, I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. So <laughs> it, it was good to meet you there, and it was certainly great to have you. How did you enjoy the experience? I mean, I know it's tough when you got 51 girls that are all pretty talented and and, and just pretty dynamic in their own right, um, trying to figure out you know eventually how Kaylee Garris was going to be the winner.
1: Yeah, it was really it was so difficult. I mean. I've, I've judged pageants before, I, you know, at the local level, never at the state level. And, and both pools of, of talent and of candidates equally as impressive. But this particular year at Team USA, I mean, I was just blown away. I felt sort of under par compared to their comparisons, right? <laughs> I mean, these, these young women um, at already such a young age with so much conviction, so much poise, so intelligent. I mean, it was it was mind-blowing. I mean, so many of them, especially some of the older girls who were 17, 18, I was like, they, I mean, they are just as accomplished as, you know, some, some women that I know in, in their late 20s. Shoot. I'm almost 35, and I haven't done half the things these (laughs) girls, you know? So um, it was was incredibly difficult, but also so humbling, and it really gave me a lot of hope for the future. I was like, these are the women who are going to make so much change in our lives and in our world, and, and, and it was just beautiful to be part of that.
0: Now, I know that when you get there, of course, Paula and the organization sit you all down and kind of talk about what they're looking for. But every judge kind of has their mm-hmm. own specific style of the things that they like to see out of a of a person. Uh, mine is confidence. Um, when you sit mm-hmm. down with someone across the desk or table from you, what's that one thing that really sticks out to you more than anything else?
1: It's actually confidence as well. But for me, it's kind of like that effortless, just kind of natural poise. Um, I think sometimes you... We as women, we want to show how confident we are, and um, but I've, I've, I've run across people, and not in this pageant, because again, all of these women, which is so great, um, but it can be contrived at times. That was not the case, and that's what made it so difficult. Because every girl in there literally floated into the room. You could tell she was 100% happy with who she was and and what she was representing, and um, it. It was. It made it very difficult because sometimes you think like, oh, okay, well, one girl certainly going to stand out more than the next. <laughs> it was like, girl <laughs> after girl, like, oh my gosh, how are we going to pick one? Um, but but that's what it is for me. It's just that spark that you can tell that they're comfortable in their skin, that they have conviction, um, and that they know exactly who they are. And that's a lot to ask from a teen. It's
0: a lot. Yeah. And do you think that um, I guess as teens, you know, as you mentioned earlier, they kind of when they present themselves, you're just like, wow, I'm blown away. I mean, when I was a teen, I didn't be able to present myself like this, you know, with the internet now and and the ability to research and Mm -hmm. do more information. Do you think it's easier for them to kind of figure out how to put together a I guess what we'll call it a marketing or branding package about themselves that really makes them appear like, wow, I look like I'm 25 at this point.
1: Right. I would actually imagine that it's, it's more difficult for them because at that point, you know, with, with so much oversaturation with social media and the internet, I can't imagine what it's like for these girls to have to weed out all the noise and, and to really stand firm in who they are and not, and not get swept up in in what's trending or what's cool or, or having to look a certain way or or appear to a certain demographic. um, I think these girls have it a lot tougher, you know, than any of us did, you know, growing up as a teenager in the nineties, for example, when there was no internet, at least not to the capacity that it is now. So that's why when, when these young women walk in the room and they exude that type of, of confidence and that, that level of like emotional intelligence, to be able to push all of those things aside, and I know it's not an easy task for them, it's really impressive to me. And at the same time, still be, you know, still be a teenager, still be, still be fun and somewhat carefree, even though they know that this title will hold, you know, weight on their
0: shoulders. It's, it's very impressive. Well, let's talk a little bit about your teenage years. I was reading a little bit more about your past. Um, In addition to pageants, uh, you do something that many pageant girls do. You were a dancer, also a cheerleader. Yeah. Uh, I think you were on the Hurricane Nets dance team at the University of Miami and then eventually cheered for the Miami Dolphins. Talk about how that kind of filtered into pageants and the professional career that you have right now.
1: You know, I think w- when you represent uh, any organization, so let's say some pageantry, in this case, either collegiately as a dancer or a cheerleader, or when I did join the NFL in my first run as a cheerleader, um, you are held, you know, to, to a certain regard. And so I, I think that it's symbiotic in that way, where where you know that you represent more than yourself, and, and so you have to make sure that you're upholding certain standards. And I think for every young lady, it's important to know that, um as a woman, you are going to face more challenges, um, and thus you have to sort of adjust yourself accordingly to that. And, and it's a tough burden to bear. Uh, it's the world that we live in. But you know, growing up as a dancer, I, I learned that discipline um, and sort of that work ethic that really pushed me. And and. Definitely bled over to pageantry. And I think it helped me um, that I did start pageants a little later in life, you know, not, not a, as a teenager. Although I think it would have been very helpful for me as a teenager. It was very <laughs> awkward back then. Uh, and certainly it, it has the same sort of dynamics, it's the same base work that you have to put in that work. You have to have the discipline, time management. You have to be well rounded. And you have to be able to go out into the community and represent more than just yourself um, at, at a grander scale.
0: Now, from what I understand, you originally went to school um, to get a business degree because you wanted to open up your own dance school, but then obviously, Correct. as we see right now, you shifted gears. Uh, what prompted the shift to move into more of a broadcasting background?
1: Well, first and foremost, I'm terrible at
0: math. So <laughs> welcome, to the, welcome to the group on that one.
1: Right. Business, business school is not going to work out very well, and I, I, I caught on to that very quickly. So I actually changed my major quite a few times. Within the first two or three years of college. So it was really confusing, you know, um, just being so young. And, and I knew I had this passion for dance. So I was trying to blend out with um, sort of practicality and, and what I felt would, would make my parents happy as well. You know, they, they immigrated to this country and, and left everything behind so that I could have a firm and solid and bright future. Um, so I, I kind of fought back and forth with, uh, with making sure that I made their sacrifices count but also following my passions as well. And so that kind of erupted into this tornado of confusion as, you know, <laughs> a, young, a young person trying to figure out their, their future. And I just don't think, aside from like so many of the women that we interviewed at Team USA, most people don't know what they want to do at A <laughs> T. right? I certainly no, didn't. Not at all. So um, I, I actually took time off from school after that. So a few years in, I was like, I, I need to stop just mounting student loan debt and really figure out what I wanted. And so I said, well, I'm going to start out what I know I love. And it was dance. So I just, I, I joined an entertainment company and I danced um, professionally for several years throughout Miami. Um, I got to travel a bit as well doing that and ultimately got cast on a television show. It was like a, a music variety show. So I was cast as a dancer and um, that's what led me into the world of broadcast. And I just fell in love with, everything from the production meeting to actual, actually being on air to putting the show together, putting together the concepts, um, the little things every day that go into putting together um, a live broadcast. And I said, all right, this is, this is it. So it was all, uh, you know, it was all a synergy there um, that, that brought all the loves of my life together. Um, and then the following semester, I re-enrolled as a broadcast student and worked my butt off to try and catch up. <laughs>
0: Was that show The Roof? Was that the show you were talking about? Yeah, yes,
1: yeah, yes. Yeah. So it was on Mundos, which is an affiliate, or a sister station Is no longer around, of Telemundo Network. Um, so it was Spanglish, if you will, was a half English, <laughs> half Spanish style.
0: <laughs> sure. mm-hmm. um, it was so much fun. It was a lot of fun. So you got your associate's degree in mass communications and journalism. Was it from Barry University? Is that right?
1: So no. So my associate's degree, um, I got it from Miami Dade College. And then Ultimately, transferred over to Bear University, and that's where I got my bachelor's.
0: Okay, okay. So, did you believe at that time, um, getting your bachelor's in in broadcast, what did you feel like that was going to do for you? Because in in a world of where, you know, academic and higher education seems to be a big deal, um, coming from Mm -hmm. the broadcast background, you and I both… Um, sometimes that doesn't matter that much, and then other times it can feel like it does. In your experience, do you feel like it mattered a lot?
1: It did. It did matter. Not only because it was one of my top goals um, to make sure that I had a four-year degree, but because in doing my research, Barry University, (laughs) it's not a plug for Barry, um, (laughs) the, the broadcast school there, the majority of our professors were working in the field in real time. So I had, you know, a, a 5 p.m. news anchor as, you know, my, my media writing professor the next morning. So he would bring in copy from the newsroom and teach us in, in more of a practicum-based um, educational style. So we were learning in real time what professionals were doing. You know, And we had equipment, and we had a studio, we were sent out there to like put together pieces every week and, and we had to produce a show. And it was very hands-on, which is what I liked. Um, and really big on internships. I mean, I did three internships before I even graduated in those two years. Um, that helped me monumentally in, in figuring out exactly where I wanted to be and what my strengths were. Um, so for me, that was, that was paramount because I was in a classroom full of like 21, 22-year-olds, and I was 26 at the time. You know, so I did feel this extra pressure from myself to kind of expedite the process. But there are no shortcuts, as you know. So I, I really had to push and work hard to make sure that, that I could acquire all of the skills that I needed to really jump in and start working right away. And thankfully it, it did work out that way.
0: Well, and, and not only, you know, being in the Miami market, you grew up Dominican, um, you're bilingual, you know, which certainly in the broadcast mm-hmm. industry helps out a lot. Do you feel like that was kind of a little bit of a launching platform for you to, to put yourself in a, I guess, a different light than a lot of other people who are applying for the same jobs at this point?
1: Oh, 100%. I mean, you have to kind of use the skills that you got. Um, and, and that did make me stand out. And actually, my first job out of college was on a Spanish station in Miami, a very small local owned uh, independent owned, rather, meaning it wasn't affiliated with like ABC or NBC, but it was still a news station. And I got to work, and I got to be a reporter, and um, I learned a ton from other, prof- you know, the other reporters that had decades of experience working alongside me. And I got to do it in two languages, and that was tough. That was really hard, and it was hard as a, you know, super green, brand new reporter to, you know, you make all your mistakes, and you're making it in a big city like Miami. Um, but you know what? It was like a sink or swim moment. It's like, all right, well, this is what you wanted, so you better get after it <laughs> and figure it out. Um, and, and I was very blessed to be able to stay in Miami for the first almost seven years of my career. Um, it, was, it was fantastic. And it, and it was truly um, where I, I really found myself
0: in the biz. Do you have to do any Spanish for the NFL Network at all?
1: I do. Um, so I, work, I don't have to, but I definitely, you know, <laughs> could. Um, voice it all the time. So I work a lot with the NFL International Group, um, and I say a lot within, like, the 10 months that I've been at the Network, <laughs> um, I jumped in right away and, and, and reached out to the NFL International Group and specifically NFL Mexico um, we have a lot of fans specifically in, within Mexico. I think it, it, since I cover teams in California, there's a bigger fan base there just based off of proximity. So I get to do um, several digital contents and d- digital content shows for them. Um, we're working on stuff for next year. Of course, the NFL has um, a game, a prime time game in Mexico City every season. So we work around that. Um, and just even providing context for the teams that I cover here in the Bay Area. Um, in California, it's been a lot of fun because it's, it's you know, I, I still think an underserved uh, demographic within the sports world. Um, and coming from Miami, where that is the demographic, like you're, you're immersed in all of these Latin um, and Latino cultures. And so, you know, switching over, I'm like, wait, what do you mean that's not how it is everywhere? So, is I have a different perspective in that sense. Um, sort of spoiled almost coming from from a place like Miami. Um, so, I, I love to be able to share that and, and just bring different cultures to light and, and really show that um, the Latino sports fans are out there and they're fiery and they love this game as well.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I, want, I do want to get back into your, your time in Miami there because I, I did read an article um, in a Latino magazine this morning that I, I re- really found interesting. I know it's not a great part of your life, but it's something that I think can help a lot of people by talking about it. Uh, you get into the broadcast business there in Miami. And apparently, a person who gave you one of your first jobs in the broadcasting field was also the same person who sexually assaulted you. And I know this is not a story that you, you know, I don't think you felt brave enough to share until recently, but for those women who are listening, like you, who are looking to get into the business, who are beautiful, can you share the story? I guess so they know what to look out for when they're starting out, so they don't run into the same issues.
1: Absolutely, and I think you know I can speak to it in the in the context of, of my experience. Um, so for me, it was little things that felt off, but you you sort of ignore because they're not overly flagrant or abrasive, or or you're dismissing it because in your mind there's no way that that this person or that anyone would actually sort of violate your trust um, and and your personal and physical space in that manner. But, you know, it's it's tough to even say what to look for because in speaking with other women who have been in this position where they've been sexually harassed and sexually assaulted, sometimes it's like a a flip of a switch and someone who was acting perfectly quote unquote normal the next day, Suddenly becomes your attacker. So for me, it, it's more for what to do if and when, and hopefully it never does when it does happen. And for me, I felt very ashamed. And, you know, I immediately sort of blamed myself like, well, what was I wearing that day? And, and, and what did I say? Or what did I do? Or did I respond to a text in a certain way? And I was young, I was in, you know, in my 20s, I was 26, 27 at the time, my very first job, it was unbelievably intimidating and really, really scary. And um, I didn't know if I was going to lose my job. And I certainly didn't feel like I could say a word. Um, And that to me, if I could go back and tell myself, you know, 10 years ago, is that no, is that you have a lot more power over the situation than you think you do. But that's, that's what these, these predators will say, do they want to take away your power. It's a shift of power, and um, I'm hoping that with all of the Me Too and Time's Up and all of these movements that are happening now, that more women feel empowered to take control back into their lives. And more importantly, know that they are not alone, because I felt very, very alone, Um, not only in that moment, but for several, several years after.
0: Was the Me Too movement what gave you the courage to, to stand, stand up and say something?
1: It was, it was. And originally I didn't even, you know, I, I was just overwhelmed in, in a very positive way that so many people were speaking out about their business. Like, oh my gosh, like an overwhelming amount of women that I knew were even saying things. And it wasn't until a, a young woman, you know, I sort of subconsciously just tweeted, hashtag me to nothing else in that tweet. That's all I put out there when it first happened. And that to me was like a huge step I was like, all right, well, I put it out there on Twitter of all things, right? (laughs) Not explaining anything else. Most people thought it, probably thought I was just like, hey, an ally with like my fellow sisters, right? Not imagining that perhaps I was a victim as well, or I should say a survivor. Um, And so it was really interesting when a young college student who was a broadcast major approached me. She came to visit the station and she's like, hey, I noticed that you, you tweeted about this. Is there a story there? Like, would you mind talking to me about it? And I just so I saw so much of myself in her, and I was like, "I have a responsibility to share this with her and to other girls, her age, and hopefully empower them to know that they can stand strong and they can you know they can they can kind of take control of their lives here um and so that was the very first time I spoke about it in detail um and it was in a college you know magazine, not online it was like public, hard copy published. Um, so I knew only, you know, a certain amount of people were going to see it, but, um, I posted it eventually. I posted the article and many people, you know, you know, people don't read captions.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Never.
1: <laughs> so I think a couple of people responded in that context and other people were like, Oh, how cool you were in a magazine. And then, you know, that was it.
0: Um, <laughs> you're like, yeah, really cool.
1: I was, and that was fine, you know, and I was okay with that. I said, whoever needs to see it and read it and, and and draw something from it then they will and then when when people magazine in espanol their their digital um latina division of people chica reached out to me during our interview it it sort of came up and i was like all right this i i really do have to continue to speak on it even if, if two people see it whatever i see so many people when they hear like hashtag me too they roll their eyes right not realizing that it's not just a hashtag like There are real people behind this and real stories at every different level, every different degree. And others don't have the right to judge what has happened or transpired to somebody else. Like you weren't there. It wasn't your story to tell. Um, and so now that there is a, a, a group behind it sort of putting this to light, it, it makes people think twice. So whether you're rolling your eyes because, oh man, now I can't go talk to whomever at my job anyway that I want to. Well, good. Check yourself. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and it's unfortunate because I think, you know, there are people like you who give legitimacy to a Me Too movement. And then there are those who try to take advantage of it and use it for something that give it the bad name in which people do roll their eyes. And so it's unfortunate that that happens, but I'm glad that people like you share their story so it can help others. Um, So you do eventually get through, you know, the Miami market. Um, You land Mm -hmm. a job at NBC7, Telemundo 20 in San Diego. Um, I Mm -hmm. believe you covered the San Diego Chargers for three seasons and you became a lead sports anchor. But what was interesting about that is You ended up replacing a guy, I think he'd been there, what, 30 years? He was a former professional athlete. Um, You had to feel a lot of pressure going into a big market like that, replacing – um, one of the icons in the market trying to, to fill his shoes. Did you feel that pressure?
1: Yes, I did. And La- La- his name is Laz, Jim Laz. He's fantastic. I mean, he was such like a big, still to this day, you, you walk in and you feel like he is a football player, not only because of his stature, um, but he, he just has that kind of life about him of an athlete. And he is like beloved as as well he should be um, within that community. And um, he was awesome. He's like, ah, kid, you're going to do fine. You know, like he's retiring. So he's very much like, <laughs> Don't worry about it. You're going to be great. And he really was. He really was. I wish I had, um, you know, he would come in on Sundays and do our sports show with us. I really truly really wish that I had more time um, to spend with him. I only saw him, you know, once a week and during football season, I was out and about so I to hear him in my ear as we're doing live shots and stuff. Um, but it was a lot of pressure. It was because it was a huge shift in in terms of the sports market there. You know, there were no other um, women in, in a lead anchor position there. Um, and then ultimately I ended up being the lead sports anchor for both NBC and Telemundo. Mundo. Um, so I was doing it, it back to my Spanish roots, you know, in English and in Spanish. It was a lot, it was a lot of pressure on, you know, that I put on myself as well because I, I did feel a responsibility to represent and it presented a lot of challenges Not only with the role um, I was growing into that role. It's, it's a huge deal to be the face and sort of the person in charge of, of this Of this sports cast, so it took a lot of rowing there, um, you know, and I made my mistakes there and fell on my face. It took a lot of else, but I also learned tremendously, and um, without without a doubt, definitely prepared me for where I am now.
0: Now, I don't know how it was at NBC Seven there, but in newsrooms across the country over the past, I'd say, ten years. Uh, they have really scaled back hard on the sports departments. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the the portions of the newscast that are dedicated to sports, you know, in many cases are down to a minute or two where it used to be three to five minutes. Right. Um, did you experience that when you were uh, in San Diego?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's just sort of the, that's how it goes in local news, right? Like it, it, there's a reason why sports is sort of at the very end. You know, it's very focused on what's happening in the community. And unless it's something like, the super bowl or the world series or the NBA finals technically um or usually rather you don't you don't see a whole lot of, of more time for for sports especially in smaller markets and and san diego was not a huge sports market it had two pro teams and one year in the chargers left to los angeles so i had one pro sports team which was the san diego padres a baseball team so it, it it became a very interesting challenge to make sure that that you know, we were bringing the very best sports teams because the sports fans still did care. You know, so we had a responsibility and I very much had a job and, and the rest of my um, colleagues in the sports department as well. But we were, you know, we had one dedicated um, uh, photojournalist, our, our camera guy, uh, who was a legend there. He was there. I think he's been at tax station 42 years. So I called him like the Holy Grail. Of San Diego, sport. <laughs> um, and so he taught me a lot. But you know, if they pulled him to, to go shoot something, you know, there, I, I, many times I would go to the Padres' um, clubhouse for availability, and I'd just have my phone. And I bought myself a, a microphone that you can plug into your phone. So I'd take that in there, and I'd, and I'd shoot some video, and I'd get some interview with the players just on my phone. And now it's not it's not so crazy to see that anymore. You know, I think when I first started, it's like, what you're in here with your cell phone. What are you doing? First of all, the quality (laughs) wouldn't have been great 10 years ago. Uh, But now a phone can can certainly produce broadcast worthy video. Um, So with a lot of that, you know, I definitely was my own producer, writer, editor many, many times Um, on the side, mainly doing it all by myself in Spanish um, cutting highlights and doing all that. So that's like the side that people don't see, right. That, you know, you're, you're putting everything together. There's not somebody there's like feeding you the lines, if you will. Oh
0: yeah. Um, You're A to Z there.
1: Right. Right. But it was, it was fun. I don't know. I I really enjoyed that stuff. You know, some days more challenging than others for sure. Um, you know, we were strong in force, even though we were small in numbers in terms of the sports department. So we made it happen and we
0: stood out there every single day and what prompted the move to now the NFL network
1: well with time I, I thought i wanted um a bigger platform being on a national um network was always one of my goals um especially for sports for that same reason that you mentioned um in the local in the local scene you're only going to get so much time and be able to cover but so many things and i definitely wanted to amplify that and and really kind of reach my max potential which i'm not there yet but i'm getting there <laughs> and I think it's just an, a, a forever process where the, the longer you're in this biz and the more you do, the, the, the more you grow and the more, you know, so I, I wanted the chance to really attack a reporter at this level. Um, and so the opportunity presented itself. And, um, you know, sometimes you wonder like, am I ready for this? Like the answer <laughs> is no, you're never ready. You just, you just do it and figure it out. Um, and I was really nervous. I'll be honest. When I joined the NFL network, like, Am I going to be able to stand next to my my colleagues? Like, you know, these are people that I've watched for years that that I've tried to emulate as well. So to be part of that and one of my colleagues, I remember at the Super Bowl. So many of us are scattered throughout the country, right, as correspondents. So we met for the first time at the Super Bowl after working together for you know six seven months. Um, James Palmer, he's like, hey man, how's it going? Like, how how's the experience been? I'm like, man, I just feel so lucky. To be here like I can't believe this is happening that this is my life and he goes in the most nonchalant way he's like yeah but you belong blonde here like almost like saying duh like what do you mean of course you're here um and it was in that moment that I'm like man we, we so we second guess ourselves so often or at least I do and we don't realize our, our own worth and our own value at times and it was really cool to see you know one of my peers that I, ad- I admire for his work say like no kid you're supposed to be here like you're part of this group, too, and, and that was really reassuring.
0: Well, I'd love to hear in, in that regard the mindset change because, you know, there's people uh, that come from the pageant world all across the country right now that are probably performing in uh, smaller news markets, and they're looking mm-hmm. up to somebody like you or, you know, any, anybody on a national level saying, I want to do that one day. When you made yep. that jump from a local market to a national and, you know, somebody like James says, hey, you belong here. Is it just the switch in your mind of saying, I've got this versus, you know, I've got to stand next to them and act this way and do this. And my voice has right. to sound like this. Is it just a, is it a mindset right. switch for you?
1: Um, you know, it, it was. It was more. And I had a lot of I have such a great support system, which is so crucial in this business. I'm very, very blessed in that sense. Um, but it is like, you have to be your own biggest champion, right? Like, it's great for your peers to be like, you got this, but you have to think, I got this. <laughs> um, and for, for a while, I would, I would second guess myself, like, okay, is this the right information? Because it is a lot more pressure at the national bubble. You're the one creating these national headlines. You cannot be wrong. I mean, I spent more time studying and researching now than I ever did in college. It's like, I'm, but at least it's stuff that I really enjoy and I'm really interested in. So I'm like digging into these teams just to be prepared in every way that I can so that when it comes time to go on air, I'm like, they can throw anything at me and I'm ready to go. So that's the biggest thing, right? And I think it, it also stems from just being a woman in this biz. You want to make sure that people know that you're credible, but that shouldn't come at the expense of, of your personality and enjoying your job. So it was finding that balance for me um, that really kind of made it all come together.
0: Well, at least in sports, is the pressure that, you know, there's other journalists all across the country watching you for information. And you, you know that you're kind of the home base of that information that they're going to eventually either print in a newspaper or put on a website. Um, is that where the pressure comes from?
1: A little bit of that, but mostly my boss. <laughs> I want to make
0: sure my <laughs> boss the right Don't fire me. <laughs>
1: Please don't fire me. And like, it's one of those things like you don't necessarily have to be first, right? Like we have our insiders and, you know, the Ian Rappaport and the Mike Garofolos who are like so in tune with like the inner depths of, of you know, like, the agents and the players and like inside these teams. And they're going to be, you know, more often than not, they are the ones who are breaking this news for us. Like the key thing is we cannot be wrong cannot be wrong so i take a lot of pride in that making sure that my information is accurate and factual and that or if it's an, an- analysis of what i'm giving, you know from something that i've that i've witnessed you know at a, at a practice or at a game that is coming from a faith uh, a place of, of substance and of context so um those are the things you know I'll, I'll proof check even a tweet i'll have you know i'll have my producer read it I'll have uh, the 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 crew read it as well. I'm like, does that look good? Did I misspell anything? Is this is name spelled correctly? And it's a little <laughs> bit of paranoia, but you know the Twitter, it has no. Oh, Twitter's, no the wor- Twitter's the worst.
0: Twitter's the worst. The worst, absolutely. Hey, so is there a, is there a little bit of a rivalry between uh, NFL Network and ESPN to you know scoop the stories and just get the stuff out first? Do, do you feel that as well? Uh,
1: I mean, I don't. I would imagine if there is, it would be at like that in center level, right? Like yeah. the guys that have the connections and like who's getting it first. I don't feel that. That's never been something that they're like. You have to be <laughs> so and so. Again, it's it's just the accuracy. Like if we're not first, that's fine. But like, make sure that our stuff is on point and correct, especially because we are, you know, um, an extension of the league. Like we are the news information source from the league or the mm-hmm. league. So. Um, we definitely can't mess it
0: up. <laughs> Now, I, I know that you hope to host your own show one day, whether that be on NFL mm-hmm. Network or otherwise. Uh, what kind of show, uh, if you had the choice, would you like to host?
1: So, I've, so my whole life has sort of been like a fusion of things, and that's how I would envision this. So I would love it to be almost like a late-night sports pop culture type of show. It, it focused a lot on, on athletes, but I, in talking with all of these athletes, men, female athletes, men all across the board, they always have so much more in their pocket. You know, they're not just the people that we see on the field or on the court. Um, they're really funny. They, they they're so multi dimensional and I think I, I wanna be the one to be able to bring that platform in more than just like a two or three minute space um to the general public. And I think that's gonna help people who maybe don't understand sports or who feel like they're not into sports, connect with it a little bit more. There's no greater entity to me, and this is why I love being in, in the sports world, that connects people more than this. I mean, for example, like in Miami, my, mom, my dad played basketball, right? But my mom wasn't really into it. But anytime a Miami Heat game came on, they were decked out you know, and they're black and red and white. And, you know, my mom learned the game now a little better in her 60s than she did when she was <laughs> dating my dad when they first started going out. So I just, I find that so interesting how, how people can come together, even if they don't know one technical thing that's happening in the game, they <laughs> love the team or it represents their community or it represents something bigger, right? So like- yep. I, I, those type of things. I, I think it's important to, to, to make sure that everybody sees it. So I'd love to have like kind of a sports lifestyle show that brings that everybody can watch.
0: So at the NFL network, um, what would you like to see happen? I just had Laura Rutledge and Maria Taylor on not too long ago over at ESPN. I they love obviously, that. <laughs> Yeah, they do obviously a lot of stuff in the field, but you know, they love to get on the desk, do analysis, things yeah. like that. Is that the kind of the graduation that you'd like to see at NFL network for yourself?
1: Oh, 100%. And, and I've been, you know, I've had the opportunity over the past almost a year um, to be on, on shows like Total Access as an analyst. But for me, when I'm still sitting across from Willie McGillis, you know, talking X's and O's and they're really asking for my opinion and, and my analysis of a team or how they might do or a player, you know, I feel like that is sort of the next level of, of journalism. And as women to get the opportunity to do so is getting less rare. But it's still, for most people, a little shocking, like, oh, she's at the roundtable, and she knows what she's talking about. Um, and I take a tremendous amount of pride in doing so on women like Laura and Maria um, and Anna Rossini and my colleagues like Tiffany Blackman and Jane Slater, um, who are out there representing as well. You know, our female hosts, Pauline Wolf and, and Kayat, I could go on and on. maybe not on and on because there's a finite amount of women in this biz, (laughs) right? But it's it's so empowering to see. And um, I'm glad that we can – we stand on the shoulders of of those that came before us, you know, the Hannah Storms and, and, you know, just the women that I've been watching for for years um, saying she is a badass.
0: I love it. Well, I want to talk about one more thing, and that is your hair. Um, As I was reading all these articles this morning, that kept coming up in all the articles. I I believe you – you like to call it the Afro Latina Naturalista? Is that is that sound about right?
1: Yeah, I, my hair. I actually call her Angela because she has a <laughs> oh, she has personality a personality <laughs> of her own. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. she does her own thing.
0: <laughs> well, I was reading about you know the the that you used to kind of wear it down, and then one day you decided I'm going go to go into work with it up, you know, as it is normally, kind of the more of the Afro, mm-hmm. the Chesley Christ Kaylee Garris style. And oh. you had a discussion with your uh, your boss at the time. Talk about that discussion.
1: Yeah, so it was it, it wasn't even that I decided to. Go do wait. I just, I ran out of time. As you know, in local news, you're doing it all. Mm-hmm. And it was just one of those, it was coming off of a weekend where I was sort of giving my hair a little break from like flat ironing every day and, and heat styling it. It was so damaged. I just wanted to give it a break. And then I realized, oh my God, on Monday, I have to drive up an hour to go to practice and then come back and produce the show and edit it and, edit and, and put highlights together. What am I going to have time to blow dry it? It takes a good hour, minimum, To do all of this. And I just didn't have that time. So I said, Well, I have no choice. This is what they're going to get today. Let's see what happens. And in my head, I was like, It's one day. It'll be fine. Like, it's not a big deal. And the response immediately, just from the folks in the newsroom, was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. I didn't even know you had curly hair. Like, this is so cool. Like, I wish I had curly hair. Um, Or women within the building that did have curly hair were like, I cannot believe you've been hiding this for this long. So the next day I was like, well, I got a good response yesterday. Let's just see what happens today. And it was so like liberating just to like not even, you know, that it didn't take me an hour to do my hair that day, but (laughs) also just being kind of fully who you were. And, you know, after like a week, my boss was like, okay, so this is, you know, are, are we keeping this? And it was very, he was asking from like a place of, if you want to keep this, We can totally do it. We just have to get new headshots for it. You know, there's like signage all over the city with like the news team on it, and some people (laughs) might be like, "Wait, is that the same girl?" Right, right. So he's like, "If you want to keep it, like, we totally can. Just let us know." And I was not expecting that response because in in local news, it's very almost methodical. Like, no, we have we have a consultant. You know, you wear this color. Uh, wear your hair like this Makeup like this Like you know It's all Everyone's supposed to be On the same page Ah uh, the and old sort of news the consultants
0: You gotta love them
1: Right Oh yeah And she was happy And she was doing her job But that's just what it was It was the formula So I was not expecting That that sort of response So I got really excited And, and so I said Alright well then Let's do it And I switched And I said alright I'm only doing I'm gonna transition my hair Out of this big damaged I cut it super short Because I to get All of the damaged hair Off um, and, and from there, like never looked back. I haven't heat styled my hair in a year and 10 months, something like that. Well,
0: so That's fantastic. I look, I, I, I saw it in person. Me. It looks great. I, I keep it. Absolutely. I go with it. go I, I think so. And I yes. had the same struggle by the way, with news consultants, because I, when I was in news, um, I had hair and I wanted to <laughs> shave, I wanted to shave my head and I really felt like I was going to feel the heat if I did it. And so I waited until I got out of news to shave my head. So I, I not that I have an afro, but I mean, I kind of felt the same pressure that you felt of, if I make a change, is it going to be accepted?
1: Right. Totally. Well, yeah. because you, you want, you need to fit like a certain look. And you know, I, while I, I do think, you know, Oh, they want us to be professional. Like who says that your hair as it grows out of your head is not professional. Who says that it's not acceptable um, and that it can't be formal and beautiful. And moreover, I have like You know, at football games, I had dads running up to me in the parking lot like, hey, my daughter has hair like yours. And she was so happy when she saw you. Like, what products are you using? How can I get her hair healthy? Um, And the athletes even asked me for, like, products. It's fantastic. Like,
0: it's so great. I I love the gorgeous afros. The Chesley Chris and Kaylee Garris had one in there uh, this year. And then I think, uh, I can't remember what state she was, uh, Lexi Chin had that afro that they played on the Chi commercial as well. And I was like, these are just gorgeous uh, yeah. hairstyle. I mean, why wouldn't you want to wear this stuff? So I'm, I'm totally on board with it. I, I get it. But uh, thanks for sharing all that information and about your career and, and some of the ups and downs of that.
1: No, well, thank you for having me on. I hope that other girls hear it and know that, hey, you can you can be successful and still be 100% who you are and not have to change uh, for anybody.
0: Yeah, you bet. All right, so let's do rapid fire, get to know MJ Acosta questions. We're going to do 10 of them. Kind of like uh, I always say, it's like the last round of Family Feud. You know, when they answer those questions pretty quick and just get through it. So let's do it like that. Are you ready? It's fast money. All right, let's all right. Here, fast money. Here we go. Number one. Do you like the smell of gasoline? Yes or no? No. Two. Have you ever tasted soap? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Did your parents wash your mouth out? No, <laughs> this is my accident,
1: <laughs> okay, but on. I know what it's like.
0: <laughs> all right, number three. If you were given an all-expenses-paid trip to Cleveland, Ohio, would you take it?
1: No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Better not tell your boss that. All right, number four. Do you currently own any stuffed animals? Yeah. What kind?
1: It's a a bear. Um, I was, and he's wearing a Marine uniform. It was one of the first dates my boyfriend, the Marine, and I went on, and she was going on deployment. So we made this little bear together, and it has
0: little dog tags and, and everything. It's really cute. Very cute. All right, number five. What's the maximum number of spritzes of perfume before it's too much? Two. No more than two. Pretty common answer there. Six. What's your yes. favorite carnival food? Oh, elephant ears. What's an elephant ear? A funnel cake.
1: It's like oh. a funnel cake. I've yeah. never heard them called yeah. elephant ears. Okay. Very good. Yeah, in Miami, they call them elephant ears. I
0: don't know why. So <laughs> you learn something every day. Uh, number seven, most embarrassing store that you might have been seen shopping at?
1: Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. Um, Let's see. Spencers, I guess? I'm trying to think,
0: like, typical mall stores. For gag gifts?
1: Yeah. Spencer's yeah, was always the perfect. place to
0: go for, like, fart joke stuff when I was a kid.
1: Right. Or, like, fake puke or whatever,
0: yeah. <laughs> all right. Number eight, what temperature do you like your thermostat at?
1: Uh, 72.
0: Oh, you're, you're a hot
1: and it's, and it's not 72. What? It's like, well, I live in the Bay, so it's, like, pretty cold all the time. That's true. So 72 that's true. is pretty pleasant. I'm yeah. a
0: 68 guy.
1: Oh, hardcore. Um, I like it.
0: Right. <laughs> Number nine, what's the most interesting <laughs> new thing? That you have learned in the last thirty days.
1: Oh, interesting new things I've learned in the past thirty days. There's a new massage that
0: like can help you
1: lose like two or three inches. <laughs> I really want to try it, but I think it's like a million dollars because only like supermodels on Instagram have been using it. See, it's a, I've been it's into a million it. dollars
0: for the massage.
1: It, it probably is. I haven't even inquired but if it's like it's <laughs> like Emily Ratajkowski is using it. Like for sure, I can't afford. it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Alright, very good. So a massage for losing inches. Alright, number ten, last yeah. one. If a movie was made about MJ Acosta's life, who would play you?
1: Rosario Dawson.
0: Wow, you you got you've thought about that one before, huh? Yeah. Oh well, I think
1: we sort of like we sort of look alike. So I
0: think it could be here. Yeah, very good. Alright, well you are off the hook. Thanks for answering those. That was probably the fastest I've ever done.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I am I'm used pro. to being in high pressure situations. I should go on family. This is
0: true. This is true. Well, hey, I want to wish you good luck at NFL Network. You're doing an awesome job covering Niners and Raiders. And uh, I, I saw you actually the other day. So keep up the great work and uh, let's certainly stay in touch. OK,
1: thank you. Likewise. We're pageant family now. So that's it. You're stuck
0: with me. Tim. That's exactly right. All right. Thanks, MJ. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to today's episode and to MJ Acosta for her time. If you'd like to follow MJ's journey on social media, you can do so on Instagram and Twitter, both at MJ Acosta TV. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you wouldn't mind, please subscribe. You can do so on Spotify, iTunes, the podcast app, Google Play, YouTube, or go to lifeafterthecrown.com. And for weekly podcast updates, just follow me on Instagram at TimTialdo. Until next time, remember the words of Matthew 7, verses 1 and 2. Don't pick on people, jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Have a great week, everybody.